Hello, class. How are you? Great to see you all here. We're going to continue uh, our study. Unfortunately, the person who typed up the program for you, which is me, made a typographical mistake there on Matthew. It says Matthew 6, verse 12. It should be Matthew 6, verse 13. And I know that you will know that, but we're going to focus today on the continuing understanding of the Lord's Prayer What did Jesus mean when he made this prayer at this point? Verse 13, and you know we focus one verse at a time. So verse 13, Matthew 6, verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or from other translations, deliver us from evil. What was Jesus praying for here? What was this prayer about? Well, uh, the problem is that in the Greek, the Greek translation, the word for temptation is one word, and that Greek word includes not just temptation, but also trials. And what I'm going to explain to you in this uh, lesson, this week and next week, I'm going to explain to you that we're going to demonstrate that God speaks to you through trials, through discipline, through testing. That comes from God, and when God speaks to you through a trial, Through a testing, God is refining you, perfecting you, elevating you, affirming you as a loving father. And he's doing that to make you a stronger Christian, to give you stronger Christian characteristics. Oh, it's not an easy thing to go through, and we're going to talk about that, but that's what God is doing. Now, this Greek word includes that. Also, however, this Greek word refers to temptation. And what Jesus is really praying for here is that God deliver you from the evil one, from sin, from temptation that will bring you down. So we're not praying that God takes trials away from us, but we're praying that God takes temptation from Satan away from us, evil away from us, because that ultimately will sink us and will take our ministry, and our calling away. And so we're going to focus on this lesson this week and next week as we understand this. So we have to segregate the difference between trials and temptations. As I said to you, the original Greek has two meanings. It can refer to both, either trial or temptation. And a trial is a testing by God, uh, and temptation is uh, an urge to do evil. Now, turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 1, as we begin to use scripture, as we always do, to underline exactly what God is referring to here. James chapter 1, verse 3. Actually, let's start with verse 2. Consider it pure joy, and just underline that, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face Trials of many kinds. Pure joy. Lord, what are you saying to us? Be joyful during these trials. This is a painful experience that I'm going through. Whether it's financial or health or relationships. This is a difficult thing I'm going through. Be joyful. Well, we're talking about a different kind of a joy. We're not talking about the kind of joy where you clap your hands and you're going to the circus. Okay, we're talking about a joy, a deep seated peace in your heart to know that you are within the will of God, 
that God has called you as a child. And because he's called you as a child, he's now testing you, sanding you, grinding you, perfecting you. And that's what the joy is about. So consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Oh, perseverance. What a quality. That's one of the qualities that I sincerely lack. Um, I, it, I'm one of these pay, people that my whole life I've needed instant gratification. It's amazing that I've gotten into the field of law because law is one of those things where it could take years for things to develop and get answers. And, ver- but yet, and yet I'm drawn to, I was drawn to this, and yet I can't do puzzles. I can't sit there and do puzzles. My wife will sit there for hours with a puzzle. Drives me nuts. <laughs> Drives me nuts. How could somebody do this? And constantly working on these kind of things or... Or, or if my wife is trying to fix something at the house and attend to something, she'll put hours into it. I'll watch it. Her, she got that from her father, who one time was working at our house and insisted on drilling through eight inches of concrete because that was the right way to do it, even though there was a wood timber four inches above it that he could have drilled through in five seconds. But the right way to do it was to go through the concrete. I kept going to him, Pop, go through the wood. Just go through the wood. Don't worry about it. Nobody, oh, I'll see it. I'll see it. I'll know it. But you understand, God is wanting to develop that characteristic in you. Perseverance. He doesn't want a quitter. Oh, God, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, oh I'm, I'm, not, I'm not serving God anymore. Look, you see, I thought if I was serving God, he would lift me up and I would, I would have this path open for me and look at what I've got. Now I'm sick and my Stocks are worth less. My family is not behind me. I've got all, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm not meant to be called to do this. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? You understand God knows that about you. He knows that. That's why he's called you and why he's going to spend the rest of your life fixing these characteristics. You may not want him to fix it. But he's going to fix it. And so he's telling you here exactly how he's going to do it. And he says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. God wants to send you out in the world to be a complete Christian, to face hardships, so that the world can look at you in this mature persevering form of a called Christian and say, whoa, wow, look at these men and women. Who are they? Look at what they go through. Look at what they suffer. Look at what they endure. I can't imagine how people do this. And when you're doing that, you are elevating, elevating the kingdom of God. Look, look at what happened to Abraham. You want an example of what a test is? Here he is. He waits his whole life his whole life for the son, his only natural-born son. Finally, at the age of 90, God gives it to him. And what happens about 30 years later? God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to get up, and I want you to sacrifice, sacrifice your only son for me. Oh, God, how could you do this? I've waited forever. Now you told me it was going to be my descendants are going to be numbered like the sand on the beach. And now you want me to take my son, my only son, and sacrifice him? Yes, that's what I want. 
I want you to prove to me that I come first. That not your family, not your wife, not your son, not your siblings, but I come first. Me, first. And you know when Jesus spoke to us, when Jesus said this, that if you're called to the kingdom, what did he say I want you? You have to hate your mother and father. Did he mean hate the way we understand the word hate? Of course not. God wants you to love your family. He wants you to love and elevate your mother and father and your children. Love in a perfect way. Not like the world loves, but in a perfect way. A pure love. But what he's saying is nothing can come between me, between you and God. And how many of us can say that? Even in our Christian walk, we're called, we're saved. But why are, why are we handicapped? Why are we not strongly serving God? It's because so many of us have idols. And some of those idols are family idols. And we have to ask God to speak to us. And so really, this is an important lesson for us to, to understand, to come to terms with this. And so we cannot possibly understand the depth of our character until we see ourselves under pressure. And I'm going to tell you something personally in my own personal testimony on this. I found that in my life, I've been a practicing attorney for more than 38 years. And what I found in my life is that I never grew as a lawyer with my wins. I grew from my losses. And now I'm going to give you a tip. If you hire a lawyer and he tells you, I have never lost two things. He's a, law he's a liar, which I guess is easy to say when you're a lawyer. He's a liar. <laughs> He's a liar. And number two, he hasn't tried enough cases. Because anybody who's a lawyer will tell you that, that if you try a lot of cases, you will lose some cases. And so here's what I've learned in life in, from a profession in which it's all wins or losses. It's a scorecard. That's what it is. It's a scorecard. It's like professional sports. The ones that succeed, the ones that advance, win more than they lose. And here's the thing. Here's what we did when we won. High five me, baby. High five. Oh, I'm smart. It's good. It's good to be a winner. It's good to be a winner. Yeah. The elevation of self. The elevation of, of personality. Just lifting yourself up and just, just parading around because, you know, you won. And now here's what happens when you lose. Your face is just buried in the dirt. You can't stand losing. It rips your heart out. Let me tell you something. Every time I lost, it ripped my heart off. I didn't care at all what the money was. The money was irrelevant. I never cared about money when I practiced law on a regular basis. For me, it was about me giving the best that I had. I didn't care what the size of the case was. And when I lost, I was ruined. It affected me. It buried me. It depressed me. And let me tell you something. It was in those days when I was brought down because of the losses that I reflected. Why did I lose? What did I do? What was wrong? Did I not prepare enough? Did I not think clearly enough? Did I not speak clear, clearly enough? Did I not convince the court in the way that I did? I tested myself. I went back and looked. It's the same in the work of God. Because if all you did was get the blessings of God, one after the other, oh, this is just great. It's a nonstop circus. This is great. But it's only when God disciplines us tests our character, put us through a test that you see where your flaws are. Where your flaws are. Oh, Lord, I lack perseverance. Lord, I lack patience. Lord, I lack love. 
Lord, help me. And that's what this is about, as God does this, as he refines you and sands you and brings you to a point of perfection. And you understand, really, what the love of God is all about as he elevates your character and prepares to make you, make you perfect, Christ-like in every way. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And here is our brother Paul speaking to us. Paul speaking to us. The great apostle and evangelist. The man who will write two-thirds of the New Testament. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Amen, you're saved. That's what that says. You're saved by Jesus Christ. That's what all those words mean. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice also in our sufferings. Rejoicing in our sufferings. How can this be? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Just look at that line. What a great line that is. This is one of those lines that you put on your, on your refrigerator, a verse that you put. You're having tough times. You're going through trials. Things are going wrong. All right? You're not, your, your health is affected. Your finances are, are affected. Your, your possessions have been affected. You fill in the blank in every way that you go, and you understand that this may be a test from God to see how your character develops as he elevates you in the kingdom of God so that you can serve him better. And this is exactly what he wants. He wants to produce perseverance so that you're not a quitter, so that when things get tough, the tough go forward. The tough don't quit. We're Christians. We don't quit. Did the first century church quit when Nero was emperor and he was hoisting people left and right on the roads and crucifying them and setting their bodies on fire and lighting the streets with the bodies of Christians? Did he quit? Of course not. And yet some of us after the last election, oh, that's it, I'm done. That's it. It's over. It's over. Oh, I'm ready for the rapture. Well, you know what? You should be ready for the rapture. But you know what? Before the rapture, you have a lot of work to do. you got a lot of work to do. God is calling you to be a soldier for Christ. All right? So let's understand this. This isn't quitting time. So look what he's saying. Suffering produces perseverance. Per perseverance, character. Character. Christian character. You know those people. You see them, the special ones. The ones who've, who've been in the walk their whole lives and you watch when the way they speak and the way they handle themselves and how they come into a room and everybody looks at them and how their, their spirit just seems to illuminate the room and you say, oh, I want that. I want that. And you understand you want that. Well, this is how you get that. This is a lifetime walk. And don't come in to me and say, I've been working on it all week, Brother John. I think I got it down. <laughs> so I got it. I got it. I've got it. I think I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm finished. Well, then I've done a poor job of being a teacher because here's the deal. You're never finished. You are never finished. 
until the day they put dirt on you. You're not finished. This is an ongoing process. God looks at you and he constantly refines and sands it down. And so perseverance produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Oh, what a fantastic understanding of what it means for God to discipline us, for God to sand us down, for God to lovingly put us into an ordeal and test us. Look, these tests are not for evil. God is not evil. God does not do evil. God does not know evil. Don't ever go and say that some temptation of evil that has come into your life is from God. It is not from God. All right? God wants to elevate you and perfect you in every possible way. Let's understand this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue to understand this issue. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure, and you know that Hebrews, no, we don't know for sure who is the author of Hebrews. Many theologians believe it was Paul. It seems like Paul. But obviously it's someone that had great spiritual insight. So follow with me, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Think back to when you were growing up and you came from a loving family and your father and your mother disciplined you. Believe me. Believe me. I think one of the reasons I became a lawyer was that I knew when my father was going to come home from work, my mother was going to give him a litany of all the evil things that I had done all day long. He, was gonna, he did this, he did that, he did this, he didn't listen to me, he went here, he went there. And I knew that I had about 60 seconds from the time he parked his car to getting into the house that I could unload on him and tell him that basically that my mother was a liar. Look, you know, <laughs> Dad, I know you're going to hear a lot of things about me, but I want you to know it's not true. It's not true. She's going to exaggerate. I really didn't do these things. And in 60 seconds, I'd spin my tail. Then, of course, he'd walk in. My mother would tell him and he'd smack me. You could take it to the bank. He smack, he smack, you know, that's when you could discipline your kids with a smack. That's what I grew up with, you know? Exactly. And I remember my father, I mean, listen, here he is. He's a pastor, okay? He's a pastor, but he was an extremely physically strong man. Extremely strong. And he would grab my wrist like this. He would hold me. Your mother said that you did this. And I go... No, 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 it's a lie. It's a lie. No, no, that's not what an old time I'm looking at his hand. I'm watching that hand. I'm waiting for that hand to come flying out. No, no, don't believe her. Really, it's not exactly how it happened. It didn't happen. She said that you did that. And the whole time I'm watching that because I knew that that hand would flick out and boom. And sure enough, boom, and he'd hit me in the side of the face. And oh boy, it hurt. But you want to know something? I knew he loved me. You understand? You knew your father loved you. You knew your mother loved you because they disciplined you because they didn't want you to just be the kind of a kid who was running around untrained in the streets, you know, a, a, a savage in society. 
they had greater expectations for you. You all had that. You all knew that. That's what discipline is about. That's what God is doing here. All right, so for what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, and you should understand that, everyone undergoes discipline if you are a child of God. Let's understand something. God is not disciplining the world. The world is under judgment. That's the evil one. You got it? That's the evil one. He's taking care of that. They're under judgment. But God is disciplining us. So disciplining you and is sanding you down and restoring your character. And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Oh, Lord. We don't want to be illegitimate children. We want to be the legitimate children of God. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Amen? Honestly, honestly, this is an extremely important lesson for you to get. Understand how God loves you. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. That's what this is all about. God wants you to be holy, to be Christ-like, to be that kind of example that goes out in the world, and the world looks at them and says, wow, what is that? Who are they? How do they do that? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. You understand? This discipline that you're going through, these hardships, whatever they are, whether it's a sickness, whether it's something that you've lived with that's taken you through through years, and God is refining you and using you, and there are those of us here in this class who have been going through that, this testing, this ordeal. We don't understand it all. We have limited mental capacity but we put ourselves in the hands of God. He is perfecting you. He is raising you up even during this testing process itself. Even as you're going through these things, God is raising you up and bringing you to an even greater extent of understanding what this is about. And I can't think of a better example of this than Paul when Paul speaks. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to understand who's speaking here. Here he is, Paul, the greatest evangelist who will ever live. The apostle, the man who will write two-thirds of the New Testament. The man who was brought up into heaven. God brought him into heaven while he was alive so he could see what heaven looked like. He actually saw heaven. You understand what this is about. And now Paul is speaking to you about how God is giving him, and he's dealing with a thorn in the flesh. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Conceited? Paul? You conceited? Don't you think God knew Paul? He knew him. He knew what he was like. He knew his character. Yes, we see Paul the evangelist. 
Paul the Apostle. But think how easy it is to sit there and go, oh, wow. Wow, what a blessing it is to have all these gifts. Oh, gosh, I'm so talented. Oh, I write so well. I'm going to write the New Testament. Thousands of years from now, people will read that. They'll be talking about me. I will be considered one of the top five people in the history of Western civilization. Can you imagine? Not those guys in Jerusalem. Not those other 12 guys. They're okay. They're okay. That's the local church. But me, I'm the international church. (laughs) Think about it. You know, I'm making you laugh, but you think, don't you think that's exactly what would be possible when God blesses somebody and gives enormous gifts like that? And he could sway crowds and he'd bring people in the hundreds to conviction. And you understand what this is going on and what's saying and has to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelation. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. God allowed that. That thorn in the flesh, we don't know what it is. Some theologians say it was a terrible eye condition. We're not sure what it was, but whatever it was, Paul was convinced he could be a better preacher, evangelist, if God would take him away, because it was a distraction to Paul. He was not at his best. He was not at his strength. He was weakened by it. Three times, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Times And the number three here, I think, is symbolic. I think it was even more than three. I think there were numerous prayers to God to take this away from him because it's, it's, it's a trial. It's an ordeal. It's a test. And I don't like it. And I feel like I'm being weakened. And I can't serve you, God, the way I want to serve you because this thing is in my life and it's dragging me down. And the Lord spoke to him, and now he's speaking to you. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Cut that verse out and put it on your refrigerator. My grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to be strong. The weaker you are, the lower you feel, the more I can move through you to serve me. Through grace. You have no idea what grace is about. And the only way you're going to understand grace is with this thorn in the flesh. And the only way you're going to understand an ordeal and test and going through these things, whatever it is, whether it's financial or health, is when you call on the grace of Jesus Christ who fills that room where you are and touches you and you understand, God, I understand. I know somehow you're using me as an example. I know somehow I'm a testimony in what I'm going through. People are looking at me, and you're raising me up. I don't understand it. And so look at what he says here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to boast in my weakness, because I know that in my very weakness, at my very lowest point, when I feel like I've lost all of my earthly powers, all of the gifts that I would have as a human being, and instead I am empty, that God will fill me with his grace, fill me with his spirit, and he will use me the way he intends to use me. We will continue this study next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, these lessons are hard. They're hard, Lord, as we understand what you want from us as Christians, how we have to go through testing and ordeal, Lord. And we understand what Jesus was praying for in these verses in the Lord's Prayer and how he was praying to keep us away from the evil one.
but that this is different, that you want us to grow. And so, Lord, I ask you to continue to anoint our hearts and our minds that we understand this word. Let us reflect on it this week in every possible way, Lord. And I ask you for the protection on these dear people as they go home and bring them back safely next week. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. See you next.